one thing that's wonderful for young believers to uh, understand and know about is the very first creed of the Christian church. Like, oh, no, we're becoming a Catholic. You know, Tim did a cross sign and Taz not going to talk about a creed. No, uh, the, the original creed is just statements plucked right out of the Bible. They're just literally plucked right straight out of the Bible. And the original creed was, what is the most fundamental statement, kind of a template that anybody who's committing to Christ, some of the most basic things they should know. So you should know about it. You should know about its history. And you should be able to walk. You know, you, you lead a friend to Christ and say, like, hey, what are the basic, 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 basics? You should be familiar with the creed, be familiar with its history. And um, so uh, those of you who grew up in a more traditional, formal Christian church, you're, you're going to be very familiar with it. Let me jump there. Um, <clears throat> this, you say, why do you have some of it in red? The, what's in black is going to be the most ancient form of this statement that they've been able to find. What's in red is what is commonly said in most churches, and it's often referred to as the Apostles' Creed. So what's in black, and that's actually what uh, more or less what they'll call the ancient Roman sign or the old Roman sign, and it's the oldest statement of faith, and it goes all the way back to like the, the late 100s, probably, if not earlier, in the Christian church. And when you're going to baptize somebody, you say, well, they ought to at least know this much before they get baptized. As time went on, they said, hey, we ought to put in some details here. <clears throat> and, and so most of you will know the one with the red here. Nobody knows the old Roman sign. It's just, it's just the Apostles' Creed with some stuff edited out. Um, no, that's stated wrong. The Apostles' Creed is just the ancient creed embellished a little bit. There's nothing edited out. It started out in the black is what you originally had. This is the statement that early Christians agreed upon when they were being baptized. I believe, and I put a Greek word there. We've got a Greek club. Who's going to be in the Greek club? Let me see those hands. Hey, you guys are freaking me out. There's like 17 people that signed up to learn Greek. I'm like, what in the world? Um, anyway. That's great. That's a, that's a serious church that wants to learn. So I have a word here. It should sound very familiar to those of you who went to the Romans class. This word is pisguo, which should sound like pistis, which is faith. This is the verbal form, which means I believe. So a creed is you say credo. That's Latin, I believe. But they were written. This was written originally in Greek. So it's pisguo. I have faith. I have faith about what? So it starts out with pistuo. I get it in the Latin, credo. But I believe what? In God the Father Almighty. And then a little couple centuries later, they added that, hey, maybe we ought to clarify what the Almighty part's about, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, really interesting word in the Greek, his own, one and only unique sort of a son. He's not like us. We're sons and daughters of God. We're born again. Jesus is very different, qualitatively different, ontologically different, very different. One and only unique kind of a son. Our Lord. Oh, this creed is so loaded with stuff. Kurios, which is the, some of you who are new, you're like, what is this, a college, you know, master's level course? No, it's Lord is the... That's a claim that Jesus is God, basically. It's kurios. 
That's what you, in the Old Testament, this is the word that they used all the Septuagint to talk about creator of visible God. So Jesus Christ is not only special, different than us as God's son, he's actually our Lord as the same way that Yahweh is Lord. So Jesus Christ, the only son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Again, the red here is just for clarification. They added that a little later. Born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried. He descended into hell, was not in the original, and it's caused all kinds of problems, and they probably shouldn't have put it in there, but they did. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And, I believe, in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic was never in there. Wouldn't it have been nice if they left that word out? Catholic Church, even though it just meant universal originally. Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints. That's a little clarification. What's a church? It's a fellowship of saints. Forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, life everlasting. <clears throat> if somebody can't own all of these statements, they are not your brother and sister in Christ. There's huge diversity among true Christians. There's Lutheran Christians and Presbyterian Christians and Pentecostal Christians. And, and a lot of Christians can just kind of slide from one group to the other if they're Bible-believing, born-again, real Christians. The world doesn't know that. They think that born-again, Bible-believing Christians are all interpreting the Bible different. They don't know that I can go and fellowship at a Baptist church this morning, a Pentecostal church. I can go to a, Pentecost a Presbyterian church. I go to a Lutheran church. If they really take the Bible seriously and preach the gospel straight, if they agree to this statement. They might baptize babies and we baptize adults. They might. <clears throat> there's some Christians believe in only one significant work of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. There's some that believe in two. There's some that believe the original Pentecostals believed in three. There's some that, anyway, it's just all of these, some believe in a certain number of sacraments or whatever. We have to, how churches should be set up. But this is kind of the basic template that if a, if a person says, no, nah, I don't believe in God, the Father, Almighty, Maker, Father, and Earth. Ah, we're not really on the same team here. This is also Trinitarian. What does that mean? It means that God is one what? People like to form a triangle. He's one what? No, no. It's a thing called it's God. But he's three who's in this one what? I'm one what? A person and a one who in that one what? God is a one what? As in a God, as in the only God. But within that thing, which is not exactly like us, it's different. It's, it's a Trinitarian existence. He's one what in an entity called God. So there's only one God, but within that entity called God, there's three who's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Notice how this is Trinitarian. So anyway, this creed is simple, 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 but loaded with awesome stuff. And it's just straight biblical statements. You should know it. You should know its history. You should be able to walk through it. <clears throat> some guys said they were at a wedding the other day and uh, someone from some church that thinks a little different than us kind of cornered him. He's like, what do you believe? You know? And he's like, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. Well, you should like, you know, take out your pistols. And, you know, I you start with the apostles creed. I believe in God, the father of mighty maker of heaven and earth. Jesus Christ is the only son, our Lord conceived by the Holy spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. That's what I believe. Earliest statement <laughs> ever that they've ever been able to pull out that the church kind of perpetuated, repeated over and over again, passed around. And it was said at people's baptisms. So what I want to do here, but week after week, I just want to walk our way through it because I'm not going to be able to do a seminar on it. And a lot of you guys are here. Some of you are here for a year. Some of you are here for two years. Some of you are here for three years. Some of you have hunkered down 
You want to stay here longer. We have high turnover because you have so many students, but you're here because you want to learn. You want to drink out of a fire hose. You need to know this. We don't have time for a seminar, so you need to know this. This is the first statement in Greek here, pistuo, and then the next word is just like, therefore, in God the Father. I just, I, and you're like, well, what could you do with that? This is a short little statement. Well, buckle up. I had to figure out what to cut out, and, I, and I'm fighting to keep these things to less than, you know, an hour. That's, so it's, it's, you can take one word of the Bible, literally. You don't believe me? Let's go out for coffee. You can take one word of the Bible and probably milk that thing for the rest of your life with profound, mind-blowing spiritual lessons. The Bible is unlike any other book, but these are, these are direct statements out of the Word of God. So I just want to walk through it. So what we're going to do here this morning is, let's see here. I'm going to introduce you to the creed. We're going to just look at the first line. And I'm going to, it is the foundation of sanity. It truly is. It's the fact, if you want to, if you want to be a sane human being, you need to be able to say this statement from the heart. Um, and if you don't believe me, then just hang in there and see if, if I can convince you. Um, and it's not just any God. It doesn't say, I believe in a God who made the world. It's a specific God. It's God, the father almighty, who's the father of our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. And what I'm going to show you is to be saying, you don't just get to believe in any God. You have to believe in a very specific God. And then finally, to believe in this God is something that, rightly so that you are sane. And I used to be insane. Anyone used to be insane out there? Let me see those hands. I mean, literally, Lulu, off the rails. Um, yeah, we don't go into it. You guys have like heard this before. We knew you're nuts. Get on with it. Um <laughs> But to believe in this God, you need this God to help you believe in this God, this right conception of God. You can be crazy and believe in a God, and a lot of times that will exacerbate your craziness. A cruel God, a harsh God, an arbitrary God, a distant God, a sloppy God, you know, God who winks at your sin. You, we, there's as many gods out there almost as there is, you know, there could be as there is people. But to know the one and true living God, um, you need his help and you need humility because you have to say, all right, I believe in God, but could I be crazy? Go back to the first story. We're going to do this in a minute. In the Bible, first story in the Bible, what's the very first story of human beings engaging God? What are their names? Adam, Adam and Eve. It's kind of like, oh, okay. Adam and Eve. Did the devil get Eve to deny God and become an atheist? No. What did he get her to do? tweak who God was. He distorted the conception of God. It's only recently that people in mass have said, we don't believe there's anything on the other side. That's really a new phenomenon among human beings. And even people that try can't do it very well. And you've heard this too. I, we went to, Susan and I went to Russia right after the Iron Curtain came down. It was supposed to be a hundred plus million people who didn't believe in God. We found out virtually everybody believed in God even when they tried to beat it out of them for 70 years. It's almost impossible to do that. It's really a new phenomenon. So the devil's not going to try to get you to be an atheist. He's going to try to get you to think about God in a way that isn't right. And in doing so, he will make you insane. And again, I believed in God when I, had, when I was you know, 19, 20 years old, and I had that physical breakdown because my vision of God was so difficult. And uh, then I did some seeking and some 
pushing in. And there came a point where God's like, I'm not who you think I am. And then once he showed me who he really was, I was like, wow, easy to live with. I like what I'm seeing here. This is good stuff. This is, I, you know, I could spend eternity with this person. This is great. Uh, so anyway, we're going to look at this first line. <clears throat> yeah, and then we're going to yeah, go into some other stuff. So let's see here. Back to the creed. If you guys know your Bibles, the first four books of the New Testament are called what? Gospels. They're the good news of Jesus Christ. They're four basically short biographies of mostly the last three years of Jesus' life. But some of them, you know, Matthew and Luke give you a little more data of the lead in. But really, it's mostly about those three years from the time he was filled with the Holy Spirit for ministry to the cross. And then he ascends to heaven, like the Apostles' Creed says, and he passes the baton to his first followers. He says, wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. No, Ted, don't preach a sermon on that. Back off. You guys need power if you're going to ever be effective. Jesus, don't go out. No matter how much you know, no matter what you think you got, wait till you know that you're empowered by the Holy Spirit or you're not going to be any good at what you're doing. So anyway, he says, wait in the upper room. So they're praying. And then it says, when the day of Pentecost had come, this is Acts 2. So after these four books, the next book is Acts. And it's after Jesus passes off the baton to his apostles. And then they go over and take over the world. But they're waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit. So they have Pentecost had come. They were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them tongues as a fire. So they're like fiery over everyone's head. It rested on each one of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. They all went out in the street and all these people came. What's this commotion about? Peter stands up and preaches and thousands of people give their lives to Christ because the Holy Spirit was filling them with power. So what does this have to do with the Apostles' Creed? So there's a myth, a legend. Um, I'm not saying this is true. I'm saying, but I'm not, no, I'm not saying it's wholly untrue. See, myths and legends and tall tales, whatever, usually have some rooting grounding in truth. But the church thought it'd be a lot neater and cleaner when someone says, hey, where did this, where did this creed come from, this ancient creed? And this will still be taught in some Christian churches. They say, well, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, the apostles were all sitting around, you know, say after a long day and all, this, you know, thousands of baptisms, man, that was a great day. Yeah, that was incredible. But you know, what we really need, we need, we need to like lock down kind of the doctrine that we got to be passing on to the people. How should, what should we do? Uh, man, let's, what do these people need to believe? And Peter's like, well, we got to start out with God, the father almighty. Of course we got to say, yeah, yeah. Write that down. You know, maybe Andrew's the, you know, he's maybe described. Yeah. Um, Andrew, you got anything? Yeah, Jesus Christ, our only, you know, his only son, our Lord. Yeah, that's a good one. Really good. I'll write that one down. So the myth legend is that on the day of Pentecost, they were kind of sitting around and they came up with this thing. It doesn't mean that it's a false statement of doctrine or anything. It's just, that's not how it happened. There's no possible way that they just wrote it. You know, I, I, I don't buy that. But so what's the truth that it is connected to? It clearly represents the earliest apostolic teaching. 
So in that sense, it's, it is true and it represents the apostles. I just don't think they're sitting around a table. All right, we'll just go around clockwise here. And, you know, what do you got, James? Well, I was thinking uh, suffering on Pontius Pilate, you know, crucified, dead, buried. Oh, yeah, that's really great. Um, and, you know, okay, we got James and Andrew, you know, the, you're going around the circle and someone's like, what about the resurrection from the dead? You know, we probably ought to stick that at the end. So why don't we just, yeah, put a note of that, but put it down a few. I don't think that's how it happened, but it clearly represents apostolic New Testament teaching. That's an awesome framework for anybody who calls himself a Christian, who believes the Bible and who believes that Jesus is the son of God and he's our salvation, et cetera. So you guys got to know it and you got to be familiar with it. So uh, <clears throat> let's see here. So on the day of Pentecost, oh yeah, I have a, picture here because this is this is from like the 1300s but this is that's what they're doing they're sitting around and peter what you got even god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth andrew how about you jesus christ is only son our lord and they're doing that because that and it's still taught that way in eastern orthodoxy it's taught that way um i just can't believe it happened that way but still a great statement it still represents <coughs> so if we could talk to peter andrew james john etc we'd say is this a solid statement? They'd be like, oh, yeah. Is it possible that they were even aware of it and maybe even baptized the person with this? Oh, of course. There's nothing in here the apostles would have any issue with. Um, but you should know about the tradition and the history. And you might even go to a more traditional church and I'll preach this. You're like, oh, it's not going to hurt anybody. Could have happened that way. But the important thing is what's in there. What's in there? So, and again, I already explained this. What's the black? The black is the oldest form of this. And that's not called the Apostles' Creed. That's called the old Roman sign, the old Roman symbol, the old Roman creed. And that's the oldest discernible statement of faith, but it's virtually identical to the Apostles' Creed with just a few embellishments. Some good, some they should have left off, like he descended into hell. That has caused problems ever since. Um, and if they'd have left off the word Catholic, that would have been helpful. Because now Catholic means something different than it did in the first century or whenever they added it. They didn't add it. Anyway. It means something different, very different now. It is a big organization that's centered in Rome. When they put it in the creed, it didn't mean that. It just meant universal. Everywhere. Everywhere that people are followers of Jesus. And then they co-opted the name and they put it on the Roman church. And now Rome basically owns it. Um, in our minds, anyway. We can't think of anything but the Roman Catholic Church. It didn't mean that. Words, words evolve in their meaning. And words we use today didn't, don't mean this, doesn't mean the same thing they meant 100 years ago. So let me, so let's see the basic statements of faith. I probably need to work on saving time. So I'm not going to read through the whole thing. Um, and again, if it was good enough for Christians in, in a late, you know, 100s, then it's, then it's good enough for me. And I've studied out the stuff they picked up and what's happening philosophically. There's just some bad stuff that happened to Christianity. It became, it, it really became more Greek philosophy. A lot of it than than ancient Palestinian, you know, worship of the one and true living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob became really Greek philosophy. You know, and they got power and they got money. It kind of went to the intellectual elites and it was supposed to go to the poor, whatever. So that's why I prefer this one. You can look at the other ones. It gets into some weird phraseology. They start, yeah, I'm not even going to go there. Just that's for a seminar for a different day. This is just a beautiful statement. And I want the Christianity that works. If your Christianity doesn't have any magic in it, and I don't mean Harry Potter magic, I mean supernatural punch, you're not doing it right. 
It is supernatural. Christianity is supernatural. And this is what people are saying when it was supernatural. And, uh, and so many people get bogged down with tradition. And my church does this. And we have 100 years of that. We've got all these ceremonies. And to, to the point where people are just standing up, sitting down, turning around, doing whatever the priest tells them. to do. They have no idea what they're doing anymore. No, it's supposed to be something that's easy enough for a child to understand. Um, and it has power. That's one, of the, that's one of the defining aspects of it. So this is just a slim down essential truths uh, statement. Um, so the first statement is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Pantocratora, which is all powerful. And, and then they added creator of heaven and earth, which I don't think there's any problem with that. That's incredibly biblical. But to believe in the right God, the real God, it corresponds to reality. And all through scripture, that's what scriptures say. This is Psalm 19. God makes himself known through creation, and he set up creation in a way that if you actually get to know who he is and how he set it up, you can cooperate with him, and life works well. And you know how to get through your pain. You know how to manage relationships. You know how to be a good husband. You know how to be a good father. You know how to be a good friend. You know what to do when someone tries to cut your guts out because it's going to happen without falling apart or somebody steals your stuff or whatever. You're like, hey, I know how to manage this. I know how to get through life. You don't need to, you walk with peace and joy because you know the one who made it. And then he explains to you how he made it. And he explains to you how to get through it. But uh, <clears throat> to believe in God as he really is corresponds to the, the world that he set up. And that's why when you really find him, you have peace and joy and nothing hits your life that you can't get through. So the more that you guys have grown in the Lord and in his word and come to see him in new ways, have you found that to be true? I certainly have. I really don't feel like there's anything that hits my life that I, I can't get through and I can't overcome. I mean, it may be really hard, may take some tears, may take some days of prayer, may take some fasting, but it's like, hey, we go from victory to victory. But to know this real God is to know the one that made this universe, and then he will explain to you how it works, and then you can walk with him through it. And uh, scripture says that God, the Father Almighty, made heaven and earth. Um, <clears throat> Romans, though, and most of you guys are at the Romans seminar, is a really interesting passage. It also uh, parallels a lot of things he says in the Old Testament. Uh, people are given testimony of this true God, but what do they do with it? It says they push it down. So God's speaking and saying, hey, I'm real. You need to worship me. You need to come to get to know me. <clears throat> you need to surrender to me. You need to follow me. I made you. But it says what the mass of humanity does is they shove it down. So the psalm that I read you is written probably more around 1000 BC. This was written at about 100 AD. Same principles run all the way through the Bible. Same big principles run all the way through Genesis to Revelation. If your friend says, I don't believe the Bible because of all the contradictions. What do you say? Which one are you talking about? And then you should go, you better, you better, you better. Because I heard that from their college professor or their angry aunt, Sally. And um, they don't know what they're talking about. So if you studied it, you studied the Hebrew, the Greek, have you, have you, is there any possible way to reconcile, you know, this? Or, yeah, it's the most amazing book, bar none. So anyway, this corresponds exactly to what that psalm we just read. But it says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress, press down the truth about God and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them for since the creation of the world. 
His invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. But it says they pressed it down and then they created their own vision of God. So to believe in any old God isn't what the Apostles' Creed is saying. You have to believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, his only unique son, the one that corresponds to what Jesus was saying about God. And not virtually everybody on earth believes in some, you know, idea of a higher power, a deity. And most people are monotheists. And the very first story in the Bible, the devil does not say to Eve, believe, stop believing in God altogether. You can do it on your own. We're just a, a cosmic accident, a, just an assortment of atoms that somehow got here and lightning struck a pool of muck and then a lizard crawled out and eventually here we are, whatever. Um, and it's all just natural. No, he didn't say that. He said, go ahead and believe in God. Just not that one. That's what he did. And so she believed in God, but just not the God who was. And then that got her to do stupid, destructive things. And that's what spun us all out of control. And so how are we going to get back home? We're going to find the one and true living God again. That's exactly what Jesus said. This is eternal life. Not that they may believe in some conception of God, that they might know you, the one and true living God, right? And Jesus Christ, whom you said. That's how we get back home. So Eve, we got lost because not that we hunted the conception of God, but that we distorted the conception of God. <laughs> So I believe in God, the Father Almighty, God, the Father Almighty, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You believe that? And, and people, people say that, and they're still not thinking of the right God. Some people say they're just they're like parents, and they believe in God as much as your parent believes in God. They're just saying it because that's what they've said their whole lives. But people that say it and mean it and know what it says, it's kind of the, you, you want to become sane? That's, that's the route home. But Eve got us off track. And so uh, <clears throat> what makes us insane? Everyone's favorite insane philosopher right there, um, Frederick Nietzsche, um, who, who basically came to the conclusion that to be truly liberated, you have to be mad. And he went mad. So, And he's like a rock star now in philosophy. And if you guys study philosophy, like... I don't want my hair to go mad, you know. I want my hair to do a lot of good things on planet Earth, and like Jesus. So, but Psalm 14 says, the fool says in his heart, again, back to more like a thousand BC, the fool, what's a fool? A fool is somebody that is confronted with the truth and they say, not gonna go there. That's a fool. A fool is says, as a fool says in his heart, God does not exist. Not no God exists, the God who exists doesn't exist. That's what the fool says. Of course, we can all create a God we can live with. Just not the God represented by Jesus and the Bible and all that. I, I can create a God that lets me, you know, hate the people I want to hate and sin the ways I want to sin. Not a God who, like, tells me what to do, says there's a way that he set up the universe and I have to conform to it. I don't want that God. But the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Um, your Bibles may say that. that the fool says in his heart, um, I don't even know what your says, but this is literally in Hebrew. It's a particle of, of non-existence. It means there is no God, which means the God who is, isn't. A fool is somebody who has been confronted by this real God and says, I'm not going to follow. 
And then he just says they, they're corrupt. Their deeds are disgusting because once you get your vision off of God, you don't know why the world was created and you're just going to be, you know, driven by your lusts and passions and you're going to get in all kinds of trouble. This Psalm is almost exactly like another Psalm, Psalm 53. That's almost verbatim identical. So it was so important that in 150 songs that are preserved in the book of Psalms, they said it almost verbatim twice with only some slight differences. But the fool says in his heart, there's no God. Um, and basically, this is the problem with planet Earth. Not that we don't believe in a God. We don't believe in the God, the right God. So I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, the real God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son. So the second statement tells you who this God is. Jesus said, if you don't love me, you don't love my Father. If you don't embrace me, you don't embrace my Father. The people that put him on the cross, they all believe in God just not the right conception of God. So this statement is massively important. And if you don't believe rightly about God, you will go crazy. You are basically, you are crazy already. Everybody believes in God pretty much on planet earth. Um, but we do. Most people are leading lives of quiet desperation. I mean, they're, what is it all about? And where's my joy? And why is my marriage falling apart? And why can't I get over this addiction? And I tried this and it didn't work. And I thought maybe I was that kind of a person. I went that direction and I was just as empty as that. And I tried to get more and more didn't satisfy me. What? We don't know God. So we got to get home or we're crazy. And we're going to get ourselves further and further into crazy. So Romans, I, I forgot to quote this last part, professing to be wise, they become fools and they exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image that they've created. And it's funny because you look at the ancient cultures and they have these kind of conglomeration gods where you got the head of a frog and the body of a woman and, you know, the bottom of a snake down there, whatever. Um, it says that, Using the conceptions and things from creation, they say, well, we don't want the real God. We're just, we're going to put together our own, even taking characteristics. We're going to put a, we're going to put a snake, you know, whatever, because this one's really wise. Or we're going to put, you know, we're going to put wings because this one is, you know, can get around or whatever. Um, the point of it is, is acting like they're really slick, really wise. They've rejected the, the one thing that can give them joy, peace, sanity, hope, help them to thrive. And they've adopted some other vision of God. So how important is being able to say that first statement and mean it massive. Um, so that's how you've got off track. Um, we go crazy. And Nietzsche was just a, he was a, not physically violent, but intellectually, ideologically violent atheist. And he would challenge me. He said, look, if you're going to be an atheist and go all the way with it. Don't be an atheist and then try to tag Christian morals onto that like that makes any sense. If, if there is no God and there is no meaning, then crush everybody and get what you want out of this life. Psalm 16, again, these themes run all through the Bible. It's not that you don't believe in a God, it's that you're not seeing the God. So if you are highly religious and you're listening to me on Zoom or you're sitting here, you're highly religious, you came up in a tradition, but you can't find peace and rest and joy, are you open to the possibility you're not seeing the God? You're just seeing a distortion. Psalm 16, the sorrows of those who have gone after another God will be multiplied. 
I won't pour out their blood libations. I'm not going after another God. I'm not going to take their names upon my lips. Yahweh is the portion of my cup. That's, that's God's personal name in the Old Testament. Yahweh is the portion of my cup. Uh, my, my portion and my, my inheritance of my cup. Sorry. This, you support my lot, which basically means you give me my inheritance as a human being. You, you decide what, what I should have as a human being. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Is your life pleasant? My life is pleasant. Perfect? No, because I don't see him as clearly as I ought to, and I'm still a little bit crazy. So are you. But pretty darn pleasant because I'm pushing in and I'm learning more and more and more about him. And like Tim was saying, he's better. And I thought I knew he loved me, but he's better. And I thought he was generous, but he's better. And I thought he was forgiving, but he's better. And, and so it becomes more and more pleasant. But the lines, of, when I'm seeing what he's laid out for me, I'm like, this is pleasant. The lines of, I'm not going to go after those other gods that make you crazy. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I think I'm older than everybody here. Not my wife. <laughs> my wife's like, not me. So anyway, uh, and I've been doing this for 30 years, and it's getting better. Uh, don't even want to go there. They sing those songs like high school. Those were the best years of your life. I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I would say I, was, I never even went to high school. College wasn't a whole lot better. Now is better. I do. I mean, I love you guys. I love being here. I love, I love seeing God do miracles. You know, so anyway, why does it fall to me in pleasant places? Why? Part of it was God slapped me upside the head. You know, yeah, you're religious and you have a couple degrees and, you know, whatever. you don't know me. Get to know me. So I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Am I seeing him clearly? Am I believing in the right God? Not just parroting those words. A lot of people call themselves Christians. We have a seminar on Saturday. We're going through varieties of Christianity that are wildly different. Jesus said, many will come in my name. False prophets, false Christ. Are you seeing him rightly? One of the ways you know you're seeing him rightly is peace and joy and fruitfulness. And life gets more and more pleasant. You have battles, but you expect to win them. So. And right now, our culture, including the Christian culture, I say this often. I just think we've lost our minds and some of us are getting sucked into it. And some of us are being tempted by it. And even in our church, I hear rumors of things and I'm like, no, they shouldn't be listening to those voices. They don't realize the culture is going crazy. Don't go there. It's not the left. And it's not the right. It's both. They're both nuts right now. And maybe that offends you, but I don't Let's talk about it. Get together. Let's just go mope. Let's bang this thing out. Let's get some facts on the table. So is our, is our culture crazy? Uh, here, let's have a little fun. Do you know who that is? Klinger. Klinger from number one TV show back in the day called MASH. Klinger was a guy that wanted to convince the, his superiors that he was insane. So he's this hairy masculine foul dude who would dress up like a lady because this was considered a clear psychological disorder. And everybody laughed sinners and saints because everybody knew this was a psychological disorder. Now it's something to be celebrated. 
Uh, don't say this next person's name, please. But you know who that is? Let me see your hand if you know who that is. Oh, that's too bad. I didn't know who this person was till a couple of days ago. And somebody said, you hear about this person? Their music is so foul. You wouldn't believe it. So I didn't look up the lyrics because for the same reason, I didn't look at pornography this morning. I didn't look up the lyrics. I didn't want to see the lyrics. I wanted to learn some facts about this person. Queen of pop. Grammy winner. Even read the Wikipedia article. Almost nothing negative on it. And yet she's just doing straight porn through music. That's what she does. And she's number one. And I'll bet you, I, sometimes I, I said this before, I go to Christian weddings and it's really sad that the Christian kids can sing all the lyrics of the foul. I bet you a lot of Christians know her lyrics. Um, is that a culture gone crazy? Where kids are all at a Christian wedding, dancing, singing pornography? And she's the most celebrated. It's not black culture. It's not white culture. It's not unsaved culture. It's everybody, including the Christians. And we think, yay, yay, this is a hero. We've gone crazy. And then last week we talked about Roe versus Wade. Well, what's going to happen when everybody is celebrating gross immorality? What's going to happen? You guys are smart. What's going to happen when everybody is celebrating and participating in lewd, gross immorality, hookup culture? Unwanted babies, right? So what do you do with those babies? You throw them in the trash can. This is all, this is all part of our insane culture. And yet in America, Barna will do surveys and everybody believes in God, right? Is it possible that it's the one and true living God, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who said never divorce, you know, in scripture, uh, that, that sex is made for the marriage covenant, the Bible where Jesus treasures every single child and says, don't you dare ever hurt a child. It'd be better for you if a millstone was tied around your neck and you're throwing the seed and you touch a child and Christian kids are off getting the board. I mean, we've got, we've lost our minds. And I think it's because we've lost God. And we're insane. So to be able to say that first line of that, I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, only Lord, and mean it and have the right focal point means you're well on your way to becoming a sane, happy, healthy human being. Get away from the cult. Oh, and then I have a picture here, which became a very famous picture for the fight against abortion. And just to say that, some people, they start to tighten up and want to fight and swing. Have you done the research? Have you even seen this picture? This picture came from a doctor who went to an abortion office where the, where the abortion doctor was keeping aborted children in formaldehyde. And so he said, can I take some photos? The guy said, sure. So this was a Christian doctor. So he took this child out or maybe just those parts, put it between his picture. Uh, just to show people, look, we're not talking about a blob of, we're not talking about taking out your liver or your lung. We're talking about a viable human being with its own DNA who could have had a wonderful, fruitful life that cannot be said of your liver or your lung. This is different and it's a horrific evil, but we're all crazy. So we'll fight 
so that we can listen to the prophets of immorality and we can have our immoral relationships and we can get pregnant and then go throw it in the trash can and then wonder why we have to take Prozac and go to a therapist. We're insane. So what do we need? We need to see God as he is and learn to get in step with God and walk with God and so we can have a pleasant life. And if someone's life isn't pleasant, I'd say, could that be an indicator? Even as a Christian who doesn't participate in the grossest aspects of this lost culture, could it be if you're not experiencing pleasantness and peace and rest and joy, your vision of God is skewed? Isn't it amazing what you can get out of the first line of the creed? I'm just getting started. No, I don't want to go too long. So you get, uh, so now let's just kind of, Take a quantum leap here and just make some tracks. When you do see God rightly, what does he look like? You guys all know, at least three quarters of you. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, when you finally do see him rightly, he's not some pile of Greek metaphysical concepts, and he's not some wrath-mongering Zeus deity with lightning bolts, or he's not some mysterious, ineffable you know, he's, he's not transcendent. He's not the God of deism that spins the clock, you know, that spins the top and then just lets it run. You know, the clockmaker God. Who is he? He's Jesus. Who loves the outcast, who heals the afflicted, who forgives the prostitute, who the, the, the people in culture that everybody, the pariahs, he makes friends with them and helps restore them. He doesn't say, follow me and stay as you are. He says, follow me. You're crazy. Let's get you fixed up. So that you can function the way God created you to function. So you can be happy, joyful, fruitful, good relationships, positive impact on the people around you. But God looks like Jesus. Um, I've studied a ton of theology. That's, it's, it's a branch of philosophy, basically, human wisdom that tries to chase down who and what God is. Um, a lot, a lot, a lot of it. In the history of Christian theology, I can say this, and I, anybody doesn't like this, take, let's go out to lunch. I, I know this for a fact. Jesus has never factored in seriously into understanding who and what invisible God is in the history of Christian thought. I don't know if I can say that any simpler. And the big dogs of Christian thought Augustine, Aquinas, Luther, Calvin, all these kind of people. Um, Jesus Christ, the man, and the way he did things, the way he interacted with people and his attitudes and opinions of things has never factored in significantly or at all into Christian theology. What Christian theology, uh, theologians tend to do is it lines up much more closely with ancient Greek philosophy. We're trying to figure out all these impossible 25 cent words that Plato and Aristotle and, you know, all these guys are batting around back. This may not make sense to you. What I'm saying is Jesus has never been uh, very significant. You guys go off to seminary and you want to study God. You're not going to be studying the life of Jesus. You're going to be studying more Greek philosophy. Hmm, could that be a satanic strategy? Absolutely. It's a satanic strategy. And it keeps the best and brightest of our young Christians off the track of really enjoying who God is. Jesus, this is said so many times throughout the New Testament. I don't know how people miss it. Jesus' disciples said, show us the Father. It's enough for us. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Study me. You want to know who the invisible God is? Study me. 
He says, no one has seen God, the, the, the prologue to John, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God was in the bosom of the Father. That's Jesus, of course, the one only unique person who became incarnate, the person Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity. He explained who God was. What did he explain? He was seeing me, he has seen the Father. Once you figure out that I think like God, I respond like God, I feel like God, I love like God, I accept like God, I forgive like God, there's no difference between Jesus and his father. And until we figure that out and embrace that, we're crazy and we're not going to be happy, even if we're Christians, even if we're priests, even if we're pastors, even if we're missionaries. If you think of God in some other, other way than just the simple person that presented himself to us in Jesus Christ, you're never going to be at peace. He says this again and again and again. But is that what the Old Testament said? Yes, and this is what Jesus said to the Old Testament said to those who wanted to kill him, who knew the Old Testament by heart. He said, you know the whole book, but you're missing the point. The whole point of the Old Testament, he says, you examine the scriptures, and that would be the Old Testament, the Torah, beginning with the writings of Moses, the prophets, the writings. You search them because you think that in them you have eternal life, and they testify about me, and you will come to me. You read the book, but when the main character of the book, the main figure of the book walks up in front of you and says, ta-da, you don't recognize him and say, say, kill him, because in our mind, we got something else going on when we say the word God. And uh, so I believe in God the Father. Who, who is your God, the Father Almighty? Is he power? Is he control? Is he angry? Is he making you jump through hoops? Does he look exactly like Jesus? Maybe I'll never do a sermon where I don't mention Exodus 34, 6. Moses is the big hitter in the Old Testament. And he can't figure out who God is. He's walking with him. He's trying to please him. Who are you? Let me know you. I know you. God shows up and says, all right, Moses, here's a little packet of attributes that you need to keep in your back pocket. So if you forget, I'm compassionate. I love you more than your mom loves you. I'm gracious. I'm going to do good for you if you let me. I'm slow to anger. I don't like punishing people. I'd much rather show them grace, but they got to put themselves in a position to receive it which means let go of your destructive habits. Let me forgive you, change you, whatever. But compassion, gracious, love, anger, great in kindness. I'm a fountain just overflowing with kindness. If you know God in this way, what's there to get crazy about? And he says, I'm faithful. He also put that in there, which means I'm always like this. Don't have good days, bad days. Don't you know, wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Now I'm going to withhold some blessings. No, every day, exactly the same. New Testament says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and forever. But to be sane, we've got to find the God who is. And then when we say that first line of the creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, who has all the power, maker of heaven and earth. Uh, and we say it right. It's, it's the foundation of sanity. If you know a little about philosophy, basically some really weird things happened over the last several hundred years. The Enlightenment did uh, some good things. It helped us to discover science, etc., um, but, uh, I mean, some scientific principles, whatever, but it also did some real damage. And it's really because of the enlightenment that people think science is knowledge and religion is just soft, squishy stuff that you don't pay attention to. Um, and, uh, recently what happened originally was they thought because of the philosophy of Immanuel Kant, you could, or Kant, Kant, however you want to say it, um, you can hold on to science and you can hold on to facts and you can hold on to math and you can hold on to history and stuff that's hard and testable, that kind of thing. 
and you can treat morals, ethics, spirituality, religion in a squishy way. And we can be relativists. And if it's good for you, then it's good for me. Um, you know, I'm okay. You're okay. All, all roads get us to the same place. They just treated it very differently than they did say with science or not. But unfortunately, that was really a rejection of God. And the idea that God is as real, I'm just saying this by way of argument, as a horse. You know, an angel is as real as Paris, you know, the Eiffel Tower. It's, it, the, it kind of moved into the realm of just fantasy that helps us get through this difficult life. But unfortunately, in rejecting God and consigning him to that category, they, under, they undermined all knowledge. And you may not understand that. That's why we come to seminars. We're living in a time right now where people that, that said we can, we can control this thing and we can call just math and science real knowledge and this other stuff, squishy knowledge. Basically, they undid everything. We're in a postmodern era. And you go online. Some of you guys who are in scientific <laughs> programs. You think that you're safe. You're not. Um, because there are serious thinkers out now today who are saying, no, science is simply one privileged group's perspective, which needs to be honored equally to any group's perspective. So I know someone's looking at me like, what the heck are you talking? This is the era we live in. It's called postmodernism. Modernism was no science is true. Religion is squishy. But basically that undid everything. It's like the Jenga game where you take the bottom piece out and it all falls down. Now there are people who are arguing against science for the same, you know, using the same logic they used to, to discard God. And that's why our culture is going insane. We aren't arguing for some of this sexual crazy stuff because it's at all rooted in science. This is postmodern philosophy saying you have to honor every single group's opinions and every individual's opinions. And the person who lives in the jungle and thinks there's demons in the trees and has to kill their twin child and, you know, offer up regular sacrifices needs to be honored just as much as you guys or your professor at college, because all views are equally valid, et cetera. This is postmodernism. And it, it's, but basically what it is, it was, it was started with a rejection of God, the one true living God. And then ultimately it undermined the entire culture until we're all insane. Until we're living in an insane culture, how do we become sane? You better snap out of it. All right. So a few points about, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. I, there's one last point that, uh, oh, this is my last point, though. To believe in this God, you need his help. Jesus said, no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Who does Jesus choose to reveal the Father to? Those who come to him and say, hey, Jesus, how about it? He doesn't just force it on it. You want to run with your lie? Scripture says, everyone who does evil hates the light. What's the light? That's a true revelation of God. It doesn't come to light so that their deeds won't be exposed. Because when you come to light, God tells you you're doing it all wrong. You need to surrender and repent and get right and start doing it right. When it practices truth comes to the light so that his deeds will be revealed as having been done in God. Always baffled me. The statement's always baffled me. But when you finally do come to God and start to get it right, he has to help you the whole way. He's the one that has to help you believe, help you see. He's the one that gives you the revelation of who he really is. Some people told, asked Jesus one time, what, what do we have to do so that we may accomplish the work of God? Jesus answered and said, the work of God is that you believe in him whom he has sent. Well, who's Jesus? He's the revelation of the Father. But this is the only 
this is really a foundational thing that everybody has to do if they want to get their life on track is to see God rightly. And it starts with believing in who Jesus was and what he said about the father. There is a God, you, you know, it's, it's a foundation of sanity. He created everything. He created the world. He wants you to have peace and joy. He wants you to know him. You need to come to him. To... When you're truly born again, the spirit of God moves in to your life and he just changes you. Some of you who are older, that this happened to, you're like, it really happens. Your desires change what you liked before you don't like anymore. You want to be loving and compassionate, forgive people. And you don't even have to try. It's like if you're not doing things God's way, you feel gross. It's because the Holy Spirit moved in. So the New Testament says, walk in the Spirit. Learn how to walk in cooperation with the Spirit of God, and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. And the flesh is the old you. It's that old life principle. Selfish, scratching, clawing, proud, arguing with everybody, so right, you know. You won't fulfill those desires anymore. Book of Galatians is all about that. Walk in the spirit. Same root. Pistis pistuo. I believe in God the Father. If you see God rightly right now, and you're walking in freedom, peace, and joy, and your God looks like Jesus, do you know why? It's because the Holy Spirit is helping you to do that. If you see God in some other way, do you know why? It's because you're walking in the flesh. And if you're a Christian and you're struggling with doubt, it's because you have not learned to overcome that deed of the flesh. Just some thoughts about, uh, do I have anything else? No, that's it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. First line of the creed. If you want to be sane and you want to be delivered from a culture that is increasingly going insane and a Christian church that is, uh, might as well stop there. A Christian church that is going right along with the world. The Bible says, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed. How are you going to be transformed? Doing of your mind comes from prayer, study of scripture, hanging around saints that are doing it better than you are, learning from them, them learning from you. But we can be free. And it starts with the foundation of it. I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, the Father of Jesus Christ, because I'm believing as he revealed himself through Christ, through the message of Christ, through the life of Christ. And how am I doing that? I'm doing that with the help of the Holy Spirit. So, and if you guys want to talk about this, you're like, you know, I was almost getting that. And it's, I can't quite get my mind. Explain that to me. Help me. Help me work through this. Please talk to me. Talk to Susan. There's a bunch of other people in here we could steer you towards. But there's freedom. There's joy. The world's crazy. All of us are crazy at some point. Jesus leads us out. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden. I will give you rest. And it starts with this revelation of who the Father is. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you are kind and good and compassionate and gracious. The devil's fighting that all day long, but I don't have to listen to him because I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Help us to walk in that victory, to show forth your glory to a world that is searching desperately for the answer. We thank you, Jesus, that you are it. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. And I pray if there's anybody here who needs to find you, this would be the day. We pray this in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen.